this is Vision Sunday. We do it every January and every September. Every January, we, uh, we look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which we call the Great Commission. We didn't come up with that name, but as Christians, we call it the Great Commission. Someone who wrote a Bible at some time edited it, put that as a header, and we all like it. So that's what we call it. Um, but it is the commission to the church. We, we look at it every January because they seem to be pretty important words because it was Jesus's last words to his disciples and to his church. And we figure if we say that we are people of Jesus, if we are followers of Christ, that his last parting words are pretty important. So before we go any further, let me pray, and then we'll uh, get into our morning. Um, God, we love you so much. We thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you uh, are a sovereign, holy God who is above all things, Lord, whose ways are not our ways. Um, but Lord, also you are here and you are near. Lord, you came into our world. Lord, you came into our need. And Lord, you saved us in Christ and you also called us to purpose in Christ. So I just give you this morning, I pray that uh, you would be glorified first and foremost as a result of what we do here. Lord, that we would be built up and strengthened in your truth and Lord, compelled to live out your purpose you've given us in this world in Christ, as well as uh, the, the work of building each other up in truth and, um, Lord, compelling each other to that work. So, Lord, be glorified now. Use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So with this morning being a vision time, you know, it's just, it's important to repeat. We are forgetful people. I, I mean, I live and breathe this stuff, but yet, every time I come and sit in it, it's new and it's fresh. And so it's good that we remind each other, you know, Scripture says without vision, the people perish. And so we want to have a we want to have clarity of vision, clarity of why we are doing what we're doing as a people called together as this church as well as a part of the bigger church, all of God's church uh, doing his work in, uh, you know, under the authority of Christ. So this morning, it'll be a chance for you to hear from me, but not just that. In just a little bit, we're going to have a time for some exchange, kind of, kind of you know, a little bit different this morning. But I want to have a time for us to try to really um, just have a chance to ask some questions and to hear from each other in a hope of finding unity um, under God's truth, but yet unity in how we specifically get to walk in obedience and express this, uh, this mission uh, to the world around us. So with that being the case, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 28. Uh, you know, click on your apps. It'll also be on your screen. If you use the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, you can go to the events, which is under your More tab, pull it up. If you have your GPS on, it'll pop us up right away. And there's a, a live event there that can kind of help guide you with some text and some other things as well. Um, but yeah, and if you don't have a Bible uh, or an app, there's one underneath you, near you, under a chair. Feel free to use that. And if you would like a Bible, feel free to take that. That's our gift to you. Um, while you're turning to Matthew 28, uh, just and before we break it down, I kind of wanted to take a moment just to, to kind of share kind of some foundational understanding. So we come into this with some momentum and just some kind of some thoughts based in truth. And so first off, just personally, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we are totally made new. When we come to that place of understanding that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we have no hope without Christ, and we say, finally, I can't do it. Jesus, I'm yours. Thank you for, again, as, as Karen just prayed, that you completed the work of making me righteous. You completed the work, Jesus, of making me whole. When we, when we confess that and believe that, 
We're totally made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're given a new identity. We're no longer defined by our past. We're no longer defined but we, by what we achieve. We're no longer defined by our titles. We are defined as an adopted son and daughter of God through Jesus Christ. We are defined as one who was once a, re- a rebel and now is part of the family. We are defined who was once in death, who was dead and is now alive, who was darkness and now is light. Totally new identity. In this new identity, we are also invited and called into a whole new purpose of life. Because we like, we like the promise of it. We embrace that quickly, right? We embrace the promise of eternal hope, of eternity with God where, where all that is wrong is made right, where all the tears are wiped away, where there is no more death, no more sickness, no more pain, no more shame. And we should love that. And we cling to that and we claim it. And we should. We need to live in that confidence. I mean, that is our hope. That is our meaning of life. The fact that we have this, this hope of eternity that is not, and this hope and this peace that is not secured in this world. But yet, we can't forget that we have a whole new purpose, a present purpose. That means that we cannot turn it on or off. Just as we cannot turn off who we are as, as a new identity or any idea. You just can't stop being who you are if we are totally made new. Also, this new purpose is just as much a part of who you are all the time. It doesn't depend on season of life. It doesn't depend on, on your abilities, your skills, your, your knowledge. It doesn't depend on, on you know, anything. It, de- it's, it depends on the work of Christ and the fact that he has completed in you and called you into his purpose. So this purpose, this mission, which we're about to talk about, is an imperative in our lives because it is part of our identity. And the beautiful thing about the body of Christ, about the, the fellowship of those who are Christ followers, is that we have an individual new identity as well as a collective new identity because we are unified again in the purpose of Christ. And because the change Jesus makes in us is so complete, this purpose is all-encompassing. So therefore... If you're a Christ follower, it is just as much a part of your identity that you would be on mission as it is that that, that you are a restored, redeemed, reconciled, hopeful, joyful child of God. We want to cling to both of those. We We want to pursue both of those. We have to. We need to, just as much as we wake up every day and thank God for our breath, thank God for, for all that he's given, we should thank God for the purpose he's given our life and say, God, today I am yours. God, today help me to see with your eyes and to hear with your ears. And to have, is, is, Lori, is Lori in here right now? Lori Stevens? We were talking about kind of prayers for the year, and she said, I want God to break my heart over what breaks his. That's how we should wake up every day. God, today, you know, stir me up. Let my heart beat as yours beats. Again, we've been given a new heart. The heart of stone that once was is now made of heart of flesh in Christ. And so these are both just as much a part of our new identity in Christ. So that means that all those seasons of life may make it look different. Again, we have two kids. We know that having a newborn changes your life. We know that getting married changes your life. We know that starting a new job, moving to a new place changes your rhythms. It changes your capacity. 
We know this, and so it may look different. It may have to look different, but yet it is not a choice that we get to make of whether or not we participate. I studied outdoor education with an emphasis in the therapeutic use of adventure in my undergrad. What? Yep, it's a thing. And um, there's this core concept we call challenge by choice. And you got to think, we're taking people. Mike Dykeman yesterday told me about his fear of heights. And he says as soon as, like, he goes over, he's like, as soon as that body, his body feels like he doesn't, like gravity's not working on him anymore. He doesn't have control. He says all, all logic goes out the door. Right, Mike? Is that accurate? And it's just like fear. And so like it's just it's good that you live in a flat city where there's not all those like stomach hills. But um, and <clears throat> but there's this concept we call challenge by choice. And, and it's because we're asking people to step into risk. We're asking them to challenge themselves, but yet we also know we have to be patient with people. And so this, this concept says this. You don't get to choose whether or not you participate. You will participate, but you get to choose at what level you participate. And, that's, and that, is, that is the reality of who we are in Christ. We can't stop being a child of God because the work was achieved by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. We can't stop being on mission because it's a part of who we are. We can't, and that mission, by the way, is to take the message of Jesus to the world, starting with our neighbor to the ends of the earth, and to participate in the work of building up the church, the body of Christ, and caring for one another. That is the mission of the gospel. It is all of those things. And so we, we don't get to turn it on and off. So that means that all those seasons of life make it look different. Like I said, we don't get to call a time out. We don't have that privilege. If, if you enjoy the riches of his grace, enjoy his purpose and know that it's hard sometimes. We're always called to love our neighbor unto Christ. Neighbors, from, like I said, from next door to the earth, Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we're to build up the church, like I said, and that's Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints, that is, those who are in Christ. There's not a special three-step qualification to make you a saint. Believing in Jesus as your Savior, confessing, surrendering, that makes you a saint. That is what we're talking about here. Equip the saints, those who are in Christ, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is the way of life and gospel mission that we at the bridge, we at the bridge have committed ourselves to. So if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, let me invite you to consider as we've already heard, that there is a hope and a peace that is not secured or maintained by the things of this world. There is a purpose that far exceeds the bounds of our temporal life, limited to doing good or leaving a mark on this earth or making a name for yourself. Jesus said, I have come to give you life. He said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. He said, I have come to reconcile the wayward child back to their heavenly father. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father except through him. So I know it takes God revealing this truth to you, but I invite you to consider, to consider this reality that there is no hope outside of Christ. So today that's you... I encourage you to, to listen. I encourage you to consider. And uh, I would love to continue this conversation afterwards. To, today could be your day of surrender and entering into eternal rest 
as well as present purpose. So that's my caveat. Let's get to our, uh, our, our text, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so today, I just want us to very simply kind of break this down, look at what this charges from Jesus to us, and it's laid out in a couple of imperatives, these, these, these charges of action that must be. There's no wiggle room. It's, it's, this will be a part of your life. And we're going to see it in a, couple of, um, in, a, in a couple of pairs here. And first, we see two calls here, the two calls to action. It says to go and make. Go and make disciples. And of course, I, don't, I mean, again, I don't want to make this overly technical, so let's just keep it simple, and we'll go from here. Go, it is active. It is intentional. It is, it is outward. It, it requires us stepping out of what is comfortable, stepping out of what we know into what is uncomfortable. Again, thinking about, as we've been talking about already, and as we just talked about through our whole Christmas season, the incarnation of Jesus God going, coming to us, going to where the need of us is, taking on flesh to meet the need, to bring hope and salvation. It takes the going. We are meant to be a sent people in John 17 in Jesus' high priestly prayer. He talks about this. He says, just as you have sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. He says, don't, I don't pray that you keep them from, from, from everything. I just pray you keep them from death. And he's meaning this eternal death. So he's saying like, hey, there will be risk, it will be hard, but yet go. And as I came, you go. So there is a going, there is an active, intentional way of going, as well as the passive availability, the willingness to be interrupted to step into someone else's need. So that's just the simple picture of go. It is go, go, go. It's go to your neighbors, go to your, go to your local organization, go to a need around the world. As the Lord convicts, equips, and compels, you go. And then whenever possible, bring someone else alongside. Again, there is strength in numbers of the body of Christ. Not just because, not because you have more power, but because of the way that we were created. We see that, that where you are weak, I am strong. Where I am weak, you are strong. That is the way the body of Christ works. We see that in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Look at it. But that's, that's the truth of it, where we, the Holy Spirit equips us each uniquely. And so go where you are equipped and you have opportunity, and when possible, bring someone else with you. We are called together. And then to make, it says go and make. Go and make what? Disciples. Disciples of who? And this is, a, this is a turning point in Scripture. Before this point, especially in this context, you were a disciple of a person. You were a disciple of a rabbi or a prophet. You went and you latched onto them. You did what they did. You watched what they did, and you learned from them. Now we are saying, no, 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 we make disciples of Jesus. And, if we, and just like Paul said, hey, if you follow me, only follow me as I follow Christ. And so even if I'm walking alongside you and teaching you, I'm still saying we are disciples of Jesus together. I'm helping you understand what I've, what's been made known to me, but that's it. And so we're disciples of Jesus. We make only, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 
We make disciples only in the extent, uh, to the extent that we live out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And we have to be a people of the gospel, a clarity of the gospel, knowing again that God created, he created a man in unity, and we rebelled and we fell, and in God's love and, his, and also satisfying his justice, he sent Jesus to save and to make righteous. This is the gospel in which we preach. This is the gospel in which we want to make disciples again. So we, we don't want to disciple people to anything else other than proclaiming that glorious truth. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow in his footsteps, to follow his way. Again, to be generous, to be sacrificial, to, to, to be purposeful, to be loving, kind, gentle, to be courageous, to be compassionate. This is what, and so we are teaching each other simply daily, you know, as we breathe in and breathe out, what it is to live like that. It's not just knowledge, it's, it's, it's participating in it, and it's not, just, it's not just transferring teaching, I guess, part of it, but it is learning a way of life that is given in Christ. Man, imagine the impact. Just looking around this room, for those of you that confess Christ, imagine the impact if we all committed to this way of life all committed to personally being a part of coming along. I mean, our, our mission statement says, we commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. It takes us coming alongside shoulder to shoulder. As you think about what church you're a part of and why you're a part of them, I mean, I, I hope it's because there's a value of knowing that you're going to be cared for and knowing that you're going to be taught. But also, just as importantly, and maybe more importantly, this is a place where you're coming in and you're saying, man, how can I help? How can I be a part of building up? How can I be a part of teaching, of discipling, of making? Go and make. And it's, it's, we have these separated, but it's hard, you know, part of making is also teaching, which we'll come to in a second. But as we think about our core values, a few of them that we see expressed in these go and making disciples is that, that we commit to living missional to the community. And missional just means that, again, living with the, with the biblical worldview, looking through the lens of the gospel, whereas we go about our days, again, going to work day in and day out, going to do what you do, doing it in a way that you see there's more to this life than just building up retirement. There's more to this life than just saving for vacation. There's more to, the, to this life than just serving at the local organization. That as we go about our days, that it is about... Are we looking with eternal eyes? Are we living presently with eternity in view? Imagine the impact. So to live missional to the community means that you don't just talk about what the community needs. You don't just hope someone helps, but you are actively a part of, of tangibly meeting needs as well as coming alongside the people around you. You have a unique sphere of influence. There is a beautiful, a beautiful potential to the diversity of the gospel. The gospel transcends likeness. You know, we, we often feel limited by this color of our skin or by the experience of our life or by the level of our education. But the glory of God draws men to himself, and the gospel transcends any of that. And you have a unique sphere of influence that I don't have. And if we want to reach the world with the good news of Jesus, it takes each of us working in that uniqueness to be able to see that full impact. So we want to be missional to the community. That's kind of a buzzword, but it's just meaning, again, looking at our community the way Jesus does, being about what he's about. We want to live under biblical authority. We commit to teaching the full truth of Scripture Typically, on Sundays, we teach through text, verse by verse, and we do that because we don't want to come up with our own understandings. 
ours are failing. We want our understandings to come from God's truth, and that's why we focus on contextual, what we call exegetical expository preaching, which just means we want to understand what the intent of the author was to the audience that he was writing and to understand how the Holy Spirit empowered these, these people to write to them his truth. And as we understand these things, we understand the truth principles for us today, and we get to apply them. And it's how we can say that this word has every bit of counsel that we need for this world. And this word doesn't talk about time on your social media. It doesn't talk about how to act in traffic. It doesn't talk about uh, your nine to five in, in black and white. But yet, all of the truth is there. And when we approach scripture in that way, we can, we can know it. And so as the Holy Spirit illuminates, we surrender. And so we want to live under biblical authority, knowing that it is, it is God's truth shaping our will and our understanding and not the other way around. And that is how we, that's how we walk, and that's how we are compelled. We want, to live under, uh, we want to live in biblical freedom, right? And that's first off personally, uh, again, liberated in Christ, as we've already been talking about. It's also socially. Again, where was Jesus when he was on this earth? Yes, he was with his disciples a lot, but he was also in the social places that were kind of taboo for the religious elite to be at the time. Again, if we're going to be as Jesus is, be the hands and feet, the, and, and, and to be loving and intentional, and to take the truth where it needs to go, I mean, Paul said in Romans 15, he said, lest I go where the gospel has already been taught. We want to go to, we want to take light to the darkness. If we want to do that, we've got to understand the freedom that we have in Christ to go where the need is. Now, again, we are to live holy, righteous lives. We don't participate in order to we don't participate in known sin in order to proclaim, but yet we are socially free. We can go, come alongside, incarnate into life. And so, again, that's where we see that. And then we kind of see this beginning, if there is a beginning of this cycle, because it's just a loop, but the multiplying disciples and churches. Uh, go and make. It's, it, that the making is the beginning that comes through surrender. Again, when someone comes to that understanding that they need a Savior and He is Jesus. So that's, again, the, the first part. You, you, disciple making starts before conversion. It does. I mean, it's the, it starts relationally. It starts in time. And, man, praise God when it leads to that surrender, and then it continues, and that's where we're at. And then it says to, so we go and make, and then it says to baptize and teach. And so as we're working, someone comes in and they surrender their life to Christ. When it says to baptize, it's not just, it's not just the, the act of, of this, this act of obedience that we celebrate a believer's baptism where someone goes under the water signifying that they have surrendered and died to themselves as Christ died and then have been raised to new life with Christ. We celebrate that, but it's more than just that. When we say baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we are, we are commissioning someone to a way of life communally. We are saying, hey, together we are compelling each other to good works, as Scripture says, to live out this new identity in Christ. And so when we think about baptizing into the Father, we think about baptizing into the family of God. Again, that we are a people called individually but also collectively on mission as a family. And so, it's, and so as a father, we are commissioning someone to commit to live as a family of God for his glory, for his purpose. To baptize into the Son, again, is to be on mission. Why he came is why we are here. As he is sent is why we are sent. And so it's then a way of life, a way of mission. And then 
the Holy Spirit is the sentence that says he was sent to empower us, to strengthen us, to compel our lives towards God's will. We commit to surrender daily. And so we are commissioning people to this way of life, to live as part of God's family, to be on mission, uh, the same mission that Jesus was, and to live as sent people as the Holy Spirit was sent to us. And then so we baptize and we teach. And it says to teach all that you have been taught, to teach all that was commanded you. And just a just to liberate you a little bit. We're always learning. We're always learning. We should, we should rejoice in that. We should rejoice in the opportunity to get it wrong today. And in God's grace, say, thank you for revealing me that I missed it today, and I surrender this to you, and today I walk forward in new obedience. But we're always learning. But yet, today we have the opportunity to impart to others what God has done in us, what he has completed in us. And I love the picture. I always point to this in John 9. And it's the blind guy that had been blind since birth. And Jesus healed him. And there's an uproar kind of in the Pharisees, the religious elite, of like, how did this happen? And why did it happen? And they're trying to figure out. And the guy's parents hang him out to dry. They were like, hey, he's old enough. He can answer for himself. And the Pharisees were like, well, who is this guy that did this to you? Who is he? And the blind guy, he said this. He said, in John 9, 25, he answered, whether, is he a, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that though I was blind, now I see. And if you continue reading that, that simple proclamation was so profound and full of conviction and empowered by the Holy Spirit, these people listening said, what, are you going to try to convert us now? And so that's... There is power in the simple, passing, the simple passing on of what has been imparted to you and completed in you. And to know that that's your journey, for the, for, again, as a follower of Christ, that is what we get to do. You will continue to learn, and you just, get, you just get to continue to pass on to others as God does his work in you. And so we want to teach uh, to the point that those that we are leading and teaching have been equipped to be able to go out and teach others. If we want to say we are a mature church, we are a church that is mature by the mark of reproducing just like any other living organism. That we are reproducing both on an individual basis that you are, are passing on to others and teaching them and as a church that we are, that we are committed to that as well as sending out other churches uh, of the gospel to the areas that need the gospel. And so just looking at our core values expressed here, we have some overlap, living in biblical community. Again, that means a people on mission, um, again, living out personal mission, but inviting others in collectively, as well as compelling others to mission. Again, it's all about the glory of God. It's all about the purpose of Christ. But then knowing that living that life, it, man, it's you're exposed, it's tiring, it's hard. We, we also are operating outside of our own strength, and so we need this filling. God has given the body of Christ the people to strengthen us, so then that is where this, this picture of community comes from. It's not just because we want a, a pretty picture of people living together. It's because we need it, because if we are on mission, we will need to be strengthened, we will need to be equipped, and so that is what births healthy biblical community. It is a people on Mission. So living in biblical community is, is part of building other, each other up, participating in mission, and caring for one another. Living under biblical authority, like I already said, we, there's just times where we just go because we're told to go. Scripture shows us a way to live, and this part of teaching is just teaching others just this way to live. 
And it's not about, again, earning righteousness by checking marks of how you should live, but it is the Scripture and the way that Jesus gave us to live is to show us how to live out this identity, show us how to live out this identity, honoring God, pointing others to him, living in biblical freedom. Once again, as we think about uh, baptizing and teaching, we've got to call people to freedom in Christ and to the loving offering of living under his truth. And then again, this, where the cycle begins is where it always also ends. As we teach, baptize, and teach those unto maturity, we then send them out. Just as we raise up our kids, just talking to uh, Andy and Nancy, whose kids are older, and we we're just saying, we have young kids, and I'm thinking about where they're at, and kind of, you know, Amber and I often get sad when we, like, our son just turned six two weeks ago, and we're like, he's six. Like, where's the time going? But there's a, we're preparing him. We're preparing him for a day that we're sending him out. And where the Lord sends him to go, we're going to send him. We're going to release him. And so, <laughs> but that's our mentality with each other. We should do that with excitement, with purposefulness, and with sadness because we will send many of us out. And it'll be a holy, sad, joyful goodbye. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that I love the picture of Paul when he was leaving one of his places and he's going out and everyone goes out to the beach with him and just before they get on the boat, they all stand around in a circle and they kneel down in the sand and they pray and they're all weeping and crying because they know this is probably the last time they're going to see Paul. But yet they send him out because they know that that's the purpose of God for the gospel. And so this is what we're building up people to, is to be able to be sent out and to be able to take this on their own so that then they can reach and teach and send out. So you already heard our mission statement. This is how we summarize it. We commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God.